0: This is the RAF podcast. I'm Bill McGlynn and my guest today is Jeff Russell. And Jeff is not only known as an incredible aviator, but he's been a volunteer for the RAF for a very long time, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, But he's currently a board member of the RAF and I think one of the longest standing board members, honestly, uh, and and a very committed uh, RAF supporter. So anyway, Jeff, It's great to have you here finally.
1: Had this on my mind for over a year. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun chatting today.
0: Yeah, well, it's to, you know, the the intent is to talk about your epic trip to Alaska. And uh, I've known a lot of people that have flown to Alaska, but I haven't known anyone that's done it in the winter. (laughs) So... (laughs) That will be the interesting part. (laughs) And of course, uh, you had a real intent for it. And we'll get to that. Um, But first, I wanted to do a little bit of background uh, history on your aviation experience and how you first got hooked. And, you know, that's always an interesting part of everybody's story of how did they get into this?
1: You know, Bill... um... So the, there's rumor that my dad was a pilot and uh, and I have his logbook to prove it. But um, I was so young at the time, I don't remember actually that happening. There's pictures of me standing on the wing of a Cherokee. Um, but uh, again, I don't I don't remember it. My, my brother, little brother came along and the uh, that put the end to the uh, aviation funds. I just, you know, <laughs> they got diverted in other directions. Yep. But what I really remember, and I'll tell you, that was probably the biggest thing for me. You know, we, growing up, um, there was a family a few doors down, and the 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 uh, father was in a, Wisconsin, um, right? Yeah, in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Yeah. And the father of the family uh, was Doctor Pointer, an ophthalmologist, and he had originally a Rockwell, uh, was it Arrow Commander, and then he had a Bonanza. And I was fortunate; I was good friends with the kids and hung out with them and got invited to go flying with them a lot growing up. And that really was, um, that clearly planted the seed of, wow, this was this is cool. Um, and one of my favorite memories is, you know, Sheboygan is on the Lake Michigan shoreline, north of Milwaukee, and probably a two hour drive down to downtown Chicago. Uh, but I remember as a kid, gosh, you know, eight or 10 years old, maybe on you know, a Saturday morning, and goofing around, and I think we were in the basement of our friend's house, their house, and the dad came down, hey, you guys wanna go to Shedd Aquarium today? And uh, I mean, it's a great aquarium right down in the lakefront. So we were like, heck yeah. So we'd hop in the airplane, and it couldn't have been more than a 30 or 45 minute flight down to Chicago, land at Migs Field, Mm -hmm. right on the lakefront, and walk over to the Shedd Aquarium. And spend the day down there and then fly home. I don't know. I, that to me was a, uh, it's a great memory and it was a lot of fun. So, uh, so life goes on, right. And you you get to a point in your life, all of a sudden, you know, it's been in your mind, maybe someday you'd like to do that. And uh, um, I had a good friend that uh, we raced sailboats with and he knew of my interest and bugged me incessantly. (laughs) When are you going to learn Jeff? When are you going to learn? And one day I said, well, Stu, uh do you know an instructor and he introduced his and the rest is history and that was in 1998. um so uh uh, spent about a year as a lot of people do getting it in 99 i became a private pilot and then i was fortunate i worked for a, a small manufacturing company and um traveled around the midwest a lot to see customers and general aviation became an integral part of my career. And I got to use it to travel to, you know, lots of places that weren't so easy to get to. And, you know, yeah. uh, I could bypass Chicago traffic uh, <laughs> exactly. on, on the way down past Chicago. I could get out no,
0: sitting to, around in O'Hare for hours and hours. Yeah,
1: time. yeah, or that, yeah. But I could get down to the middle of Iowa or middle of Kansas or out to Nebraska. And, you know, not places that, you know, it's tough to get there. Yeah. Um, but with the airplane, it was just great. So that's that's really what... And then in 2005, um, we got the crazy idea with another friend of mine to buy a Super Cub. We didn't even know what a Super Cub was, but we, we thought we wanted to get a, into float flying. And I got my float flight rating, and th- three weeks later, we bought a, a Super Cub. Man. And... Little did I know that that was a slippery slope. <laughs> in so uh, many ways, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it, and you know, the super cub has just been spectacular. And I've yeah. I've been kind of an outdoorsman for you know, you know, I've been interested in lots of stuff, done lots of stuff, gone up to the wilderness area, the boundary water canoe area, um, yeah. multiple times over the years. And so that's really and then all of a sudden, I found out that the wait a minute, this Super Cub is fully aligned with what I already love to do, yeah. And and so the Super Cub has just become my my tool to access some of the best recreation I've ever been able to do. And uh, I can't, I yeah, it's just I've had it for nineteen years now, and I have uh, I don't know a little over two thousand hours, maybe twenty two hundred hours on it, and I just I just love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, although part of those nineteen years, six and a half of those nineteen years, I took it apart for a one-year rebuild. So careful when you take something apart, <laughs> I say it's like walking down the Grand Canyon. That <laughs> on the way the way down is a lot easier than the way up. I think I <laughs> had we, it completely. I think I had it completely dismantled in three days. Yeah. You know, and uh, know. six six and a half years later, no. uh, I got back in the air. I love it. I love it. Okay, so
0: when and how did you get connected then with the RAF? I mean, um, Wisconsin's a long way from Montana, so unless you were flying out to Montana and got introduced to John McKenna or something.
1: Well, you know, I have uh, Steve Johnson of supercub.org to thank for that, right? Uh, Steve became involved with the RAF a number of years ago, Uh, was actually asked to be on the board. It was on the board, and I know he... He sent the note out to the supercub.org membership and just said, hey, guys, I want to make you aware of this great organization, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of them and you should really get to know them. And uh, actually one year, you know, as part of your membership, I'll send a donation in to support his website. And uh, he he took twenty-five dollars of it or some some amount of it and sent it on to the RAF that said, okay, now you're an RAF member. <laughs> and uh yeah, and it's like, okay. And that was as slippery of a slope as the Super Cub, I guess. So no, it's it's been great, right? And then the more I learned about the organization, the more I got enthused about it. And uh uh I did a lot of backcountry flying out west with my super cub and I'd give some talks at some different aviation events about my kind of backcountry adventures. And I'd always mention the RAF as part of my talk. I said, hey, here's an organization. And uh, <clears throat> word somehow got back to Montana that I was doing that. <laughs> and, and the rest is history. I was asked to be a state liaison. And then uh, a number of years later, I was invited to join the board. And it's been just a great, great time since.
0: Yeah, and, and you did some great things in Wisconsin for backcountry aviation too, which you know, shouldn't go unrecognized.
1: Well, we're trying. We're 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 continuing the push out in this part of the world, right? I know I'm on the board, and my my viewpoint is a little broader now. But boy, we still you know the Midwest. We got lots of great stuff going on. It with Han- you know really excited about Hanley Field up in Munising, uh, yeah. which. You know, the UP of Michigan really should be part of Wisconsin, but I won't go into that any further. Um, <laughs> you know, up on the shore of Lake Superior, it's a really beautiful spot. So uh, um should have a really nice pilot area built out by the spring uh, with some uh, bicycles and possibly a courtesy car at the airport. It's going to be a great, a great destination.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely agree. But you already have some great destinations that you've participated in. In the, in your own state, too. Well,
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Cornucopia is another beautiful place. It's a northernmost village in Wisconsin, up on the shore of Lake Superior. Um, you know, they had a small little grass strip that really wasn't getting used much. And back in 2018, we started to get involved with them. And we helped the community breathe some life back into their little grass strip. And they're tickled. They get, uh, you know, 100 to 200 airplanes a year that come there. But they camp there. They come in uh, spend time in the community. It's just a, it's a great spot. And then obviously we have, you know, the Bob and Judy Gillette, uh, Gillette's here in Wisconsin as well. And that's, that's uh, a great place. And it's, uh, you know, lots more to go there. Um, Yeah. 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 Yeah, That is a
0: beautiful spot. That's an incredible spot. Yeah. And that's probably going to be the
1: next Ryan field, honestly. Right. Absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, a number of steps. Yeah, it's it's pretty close to that already, but yeah, with a few more things there, it's it's a wonderful spot.
0: Yeah, and Bob and Judy are wonderful people. They so, are. Yeah, kudos on on you to you know for everything that you've done for them. It's been awesome. At any rate, let's move on now and talk about the inspiration for going to Alaska in February. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's now you, you laugh, Bill, but, you know, so the, the um, you know, the Iditarod sled dog race, right? So right. it's a, it's a, it's a sled dog race that's been going on for over 50 years. And it's from, you know, now it's just north of Anchorage out to Nome and it's a thousand miles long. Um, and it's truly a spectacular event. And, you know, it's something that Rhonda and I had had watched on TV, we followed for years. Where uh unfortunately it used to get a lot more TV coverage. It was on a, a sports channel. They'd have daily updates and oh boy, we were glued to the TV for the whole I did a and and we loved it. And you know, after all these years of kind of following along, we thought, you know, boy, wouldn't it be fun someday to go do that? Yeah. And and so uh, you know I, I retired a few years ago and and I have uh, all the time in the world and I thought, here I am last summer and I think uh, I think it was uh, December ninth, if I'm right, last uh, last year um, or December ninth, 2002 20, 2022. And you know I, I, I thought, well, you know what the heck, let's what if I just fly the super cub up there on skis? And then uh, let's follow along the Iditarod uh, race, sled dog race. In you know, on my in my super cup on skis, I thought, what the heck? Wouldn't that be a fun adventure? I mean, if you're going to see the, the Iditarod, it's on. It, it's a roadless area. It's all there's no there's no driving to any of these <laughs> native villages out there. It's it's out in the middle of nowhere. So how do you do it? Well, you're going to do it with aviation, right? You're going to do it with a snow machine, possibly a snow machine, or with an airplane. Yeah. And I thought, well, I have an airplane, I got skis for it. It's it's about as set up as good as you can. Let's let's do it. So I I put a post on supercub.org, right, which I've been a member of for, you know, a long time and I just said, "You know, it's a little gray early. It feels a little gr- gloomy here uh, already <laughs> this winter." And I said, "I've hatched a plan and I <laughs> here's what I'm thinking." And and Uh, you know like the RAF you know the supercub.org community is just full of knowledgeable people they've been there they've done that and I asked for advice and not only did I get advice but I got um, all sorts of invitations to come stay with folks up there so um, one uh, of the
0: wonderful things about the supercub.org organization right it's just incredible it's a family
1: it is it's a family just like RAF but you know it overlaps with the RAF, I would bet, by uh, 70% or more, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's the same kind of people. It just is a subset of those people that happen to really be into Super Cubs and similar airplanes, but uh, its I can't say enough of the community uh, and how generous they've been with me and how much I've learned from them. I like to say um, early on, I'm a little irritated with them because the dang website gave me the confidence to take my airplane apart and think I could get it back together again. <laughs> but i'll I'll let that kind of pass now and uh the the, the amount God. of it the adventures that have, you know and and to be honest, Bill, you know, I've been up to Alaska now only a couple well, two and a half times with my airplane. Um, but I've been up there seven times and I've gotten to make some great, just fortunate to make great friendships up there. And a lot of them have come from the supercub.org community, but also the RAF, yep. lots of RAF people. And that, that part of it has just been spectacular. Right. And they, we all say local knowledge, right. When you go somewhere, you need some local knowledge. Well, how do you get that? Well, you become friends with locals and they share all the special places to, to explore and i've been very fortunate with that
0: yeah absolutely right well i remember i think it was probably a a board meeting or something you mentioned you were going to go do this and um, and right away my spidey sense went off you know because i've i've always had this (laughs) there's there's always been this uh i guess it it's more like an ocd kind of a, a reaction to weather right so When my friend Jeff Russell is going to take off, you know, in the end of February for Alaska right away, it's like, oh, man, I can't imagine the weather challenges. And so, you know, and that uh, I remember when I first learned to fly, my instructor would say, well, you know, if you really are concerned about the weather, you just call 1-800-WEATHER-BRIEF and you talk to the briefer and he'll say VFR isn't recommended. And then you get in the airplane and you just go to where you're going to go anyway. Um, and, you know, you just got to be super careful in land if you if you see bad things, and I always thought, you know, that wasn't quite enough for me, and so I got very involved and got kind of fascinated by it, honestly, but it really turned into more of an OCD thing, and so um, when you said you were going to go to Alaska, it was almost like uh, an exciting anticipation of being able to help you with the weather, um, but also it's like, Let's just try to get Jeff through this safely, and I'll be your ears and eyes, you know, 50, 100 miles out in front of you uh, to try to do this safely. And as I recall, right away, out of the gate, right, the day you were supposed to leave, it was like the blizzard hadn't subsided yet in Wisconsin, right?
1: Yeah, no, I I got delayed by a day on the first day of the trip, right? And there's obviously that time of year, that's that's just what's going to happen. And you have to, you get your head around it, right? Yeah. Early on. But Bill, you know, your help and support on this uh, adventure was absolutely unbelievable, right? I mean, you're, well, all the stuff you've learned about the weather and all the resources you've learned about and what you've taught yourself, um, you know, I can't say enough. Getting a, a personal weather briefing every day you know, from you on the trip was just, you know, uh, unbelievable.
0: Uh, Let's talk about some of that because, um, you know, I'm tracking you as you're going. I'm watching you on on the inReach, you know, um, you know, trek across. And, of course, you had to get through customs um, to get into Canada and you had to get there, you know, at at the right time. So walk through that for people that have never done that so that they understand that um, this there's there's some uh, knowledge that has to be uh, uh, that has to be transferred here.
1: Yeah, so I mean, actually, the the going into Canada is pretty uh, painless. Um, they'll clear you via telephone, so you just got to give them between a two and a forty eight hour warning, and uh, they clear you through via phone. So they're a little bit uh, looser on the time because they're not going to be waiting for you somewhere, uh, or vice versa. So it's not so bad. I. I cleared customs up in uh, Fort Francis, uh, Ontario, uh, right across the border, a border sister city with um, International Falls, whom some folks might be. uh, And it it really went well. Um, You know, and I'll I'll digress just for a a moment. um, For learning how to fly to Canada and or Alaska specifically, uh, RAF supporter, a guy named Ted Waltman, has a fantastic website out there. It's fly 2 akcom So fly and then the number two, ak.com And it's, it's all, everything you'd ever wanna know about flying from the lower 48 up to Alaska, nice. and including the customs and what to do and how to prep and all the rest. So um, um, what a great resource. Now, I was fortunate I had done it before, so uh, I knew a little bit about it and I've flown to Canada many, many times over the years uh, in an airplane. So I, I'm a little bit familiar with it, but, uh, you know, the customs part was pretty, pretty straightforward, you know, um, yep. you know, on that, that first day though, you know, um, I left Wisconsin. It was probably, oh, in the early morning, it was probably in the low teens for temperatures, you know, it wasn't so cold, you know, it was typical winter temperatures for us, but, I got that night to Yorkton, Saskatchewan, and um I saw minus 42 degrees actual temperature. Or no, I'm sorry. Yeah, so minus 35 actual temperature in Yorkton, Saskatchewan that yeah. night. Yeah. And so, you know, um I I thought, well, you know, it can be cold in Canada, but it's not always that cold and well. I think I found some of the cold. You could see this cold front coming across the country. And I think you and I commented on it at the time. Yeah, you you had a headwind
0: that first day. (laughs) Yeah, there was a
1: massive cold front coming. And I found it. Yeah. uh, yeah. And I got on the backside of it. So, uh, um, but But you know
0: what? The plane actually loved the cold the whole time, right? I mean.
1: It did. I I have an aftermarket exhaust system that puts out a ton of heat. And the biggest thing, and a lot of people that already maybe are winter flyers know this, but you just can't have any air leaks into the airplane. Yeah. Um, there isn't a heater made in the world that can make up for a cold air leak. It just, math doesn't work. Right. Um, so I use two-inch blue masking tape and, and painter's tape. And I, paint, I would tape myself into the airplane. <laughs> so I'd close the door the window, I'd crawl in, I'd get the tape out and I would tape the whole seat, you know, the whole opening around the door and the window and anywhere. And then during the flight, if you feel any cold air anywhere, get the masking tape out and (laughs) tape it up. Um, but then you know the the process was you'd land and you'd pop the door open and all the tape would rip off. You'd ball it up into a little ball. You throw it in the back seat. And I don't think I went through one roll of painter's tape on the trip. I mean, it was just, uh, Um, but it's the secret to comfortable flying in the winter.
0: Well, and it was, it it was hard to believe that you were staying as warm as you said you were. You said you were just comfy the whole way. You had the heater just blasting and and you actually moved the rear seat heater up in between your legs, right? (laughs) I did.
1: Yeah. You know, Bill, I amazingly, I mean, it was, it was cold in the airplane. Um, but I never had, I never wore gloves or a hat. The whole time I was flying, you know, even in those temperatures, and also, you know, interesting aspect. I told you it was minus thirty-five like in Yorkton. There was a crazy temperature inversion. So on the ground it was minus thirty-five. At five hundred feet, it was all it was almost zero. Right? Yeah. So crazy. I, I mean, a thirty-five degree inversion. Um, so that really helped too. You know, yeah, I got up
0: into just gobsmacked the cold air right to the ground.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, but you know that, and then the rear seat heat tube blowing blow eye at me. You know, I know it was cold in the airplane. Uh, you know, I had my drinks in the back seat, and my drinks froze. So I knew the back seat was not uh, going to. not. It was. It was considerably colder back there, but up in the front where I had heat blowing on me, I was fine. But you know that that led me to a little bit of a interesting thought as I'm flying along on the way up you know, through Canada on the way to Alaska, I'm thinking, hmm, Rhonda's gonna meet me in Anchorage and she's gonna be <laughs> sitting in this back seat. And um, you know, it's really cold back there now. So yeah, my my next night, I ended up in Fort St. John, uh, British Columbia. And they had a which, Canadian Which was another
0: long day, by the way. That was a that was a long trek.
1: It was, yeah. Yep. yep. You know, again, I I had about 11 hours of sunlight every day, uh, sunrise to sunset. But, you know, with or I would say it wasn't quite 11 hours, but with uh, twilight, I had 11 hours. And then I would gain an hour because I'm going west. So I had I had about 12 flyable hours in light. Now, obviously, I could have flown at night, but I wasn't really interested in those conditions at flying at night yeah um, so that that really helped. But you know, I got to Yorkton and I bought two things at Canadian Tire. And if you have not been to Canada, it's one of these great fleet stores. They have absolutely everything. They're huge. I got a twelve volt plug-in rear seat heating pad <clears throat> for Rhonda. And yeah. I installed that because I had two weather nights in uh, in your in uh, Fort St. John. And then I also got a a 12-volt battery blanket because I learned in Yorkton that even though my engine was preheated and was good, that my battery was not really happy at minus 35. (laughs) So um, anyway, and so actually the battery blanket, I'm sorry, it was 110 volts. I could plug that in with my engine heater. And that really helped a lot. So I was all set after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I think you wandered out to the plane in Yorkton in the morning, right? And the battery is just toast.
1: Yeah, it it it, it wouldn't. Um, I was in a hangar, but it was unheated hangar. Uh, I was plugged in and, a, and the engine was toasty. I mean, they, it was great. Yeah. And then you go to change the, to uh, start the airplane and it won't get it off over the compression stroke. It'll turn it over, but it hits the compression stroke. But, so, you know, interesting enough, Bill, I did that three or four times, and I think the act of just trying to get it to bump over the compression stroke warm the battery up a little because I'm drawing. yeah and you know, so much. And I primed the living heck out of it because I knew if I got one blade over, one pop, I wanted the thing had to start. And you know what? It did. I got what <laughs> I got that one blade. Because it was it was so cold that morning, yeah, and there was a little bit of a breeze, and yeah. here I am sitting in my airplane trying to get started, dreading the thought <laughs> of getting back out and hand propping it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I didn't have to. Yeah, uh, but did you set up that hanger ahead of time, or was that one of those you did? I, did, you know, a good thing to do when you travel through Canada is call ahead. For every place you're gonna need something. yeah, um you know, make sure they you call ahead for make sure they have fuel, yeah, make sure the pumps are working. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what I found and it's get, it's changing a little as of late, but in 2018 when I we went up there, all, very seldom did you find a credit card machine at the at the airports. Yeah. It was almost all attended hours only and you had to pay in person. And so this time was a little better, a few more credit card machines, but still call. Hey, is it is it, you know, when are the pumps available? Am I going to have to pay a call out fee? And oh, by the way, um, do you have a hanger? Um, you know, now I was loaded up. I had wing covers and a tail cover and a cull cover. And, you know, I could I could survive the night outside with a plug-in. Um, but, um, you know, having a couple, having a hanger, uh, is yeah. awfully nice. So too, cause covering your airplane yeah. in minus 35, um, anyway, so, uh, Yorkton, Saskatchewan was fantastic. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but you know, it was good old, I mean, fantastic, uh, hospitality, extraordinary, small town friendliness, um, hanger for the night, a plug-in for the night, fuel, uh, and oh a courtesy card too yeah so I mean I,
0: I think that's another place where ground support really helps because I made some of those phone calls oh for, you did um, you know where you texted me and said I think I'm heading for blah 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 for fuel and I called ahead had some great conversations with some city some city employees you did I like, well I haven't been out there for a couple of weeks but it was working the last time I was there you know and it was that kind of stuff yeah uh, but I remember,
1: yeah, Bill, that I, and I don't remember specifically in Yorkton, you might have called Yorkton for me. I can't remember, but it, it was spectacular because you can't always get right here. You are in the air and you can't always get a cell service. You're busy,
0: you're know, you busy in the air and you had fumbling around with your phone, trying to find and get a connection and everything. It's just nice to have somebody who's, who's on the ground someplace that that's a convenience that, um, it turn can turn into something more. But anyway, it was uh, it was fun to be able to help you do that. Um, as I recall, you got uh, the hardest part I, for me <laughs> sitting in my nice warm chair <laughs> was helping you get from Fort Saint John to Whitehorse because that's the part that was uh, trickier. The mountains; um, it was really hard to see down through a satellite shot. Uh, where the clouds were and you know messing around looking for highway highway webcams and stuff like that um it it was a little bit of a crapshoot
1: yeah it 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 sure was bill um you know i got stuck i remember a couple nights in sport st john the weather was not cooperating and then even the next day the last day right it was like well we're not so sure yet right and you weren't able to see but it you know you know you got to be conservative, obviously, in these decisions, but sometimes it takes uh, getting in the air and taking a look and see what it is and just make sure you have it a way out. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I remember I still had some weather to deal with that day. Uh, and you had looked at, you know, you didn't have a lot of information available, but I think you could look at, I don't know, you were looking at the temperature dew point spread or you were looking at some, you know, as a function of altitude and you said, well, you might have a layer here. Yeah. And, and sure enough that layer that you predicted it was right where it was and it actually got even thicker than that but uh yeah i made it through and uh, railroad right ifr i did i did that i ended up i tried going over the top and uh that didn't look so good i realized the destination was uh completely socked in like a 1200 foot ceilings and here i am up at six thousand feet on a big Layer of clouds, and I, I only spent about fifteen minutes up there, and I double back and uh, flew back to the edge of the cl- the south edge of the clouds and jumped down onto the to the. Uh, and here, here's another example of local knowledge. You know, some of the folks in Fort Saint John who were, you know, put me up in a hangar for the night and took care of me, yeah. are also local, and they said, "Hey, you need to get up to Fort Nelson. This is the way to do it." These railroad tracks. There's no obstructions. There's nothing there. You're out of the mountains. You know, they said follow the tracks. These tracks will take you right there and keep you out of everything. And so, yep. um, again, you know, the local knowledge was super. But yeah, got up to Fort Nelson. I think ceilings were better by then, twelve hundred plus. And and then actually got uh, you know all the way over to Whitehorse that day. Yeah, um, which you know, again, maybe a little bit of fuzz in some of the areas, but not too bad.
0: Actually getting, I guess it was the I can't remember where you cleared US customs. You'll have to remind me. That in was North, n- Northway. You you had to do that exactly right on the button, right? <laughs> that guy I, drives over there.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, that was an interesting one. So right. So then a night in Whitehorse. Again, I think we saw minus 28 or minus 30 that night. Again, I found a hanger. Um, Kyle and Sarah Cameron put me up for the night, and they're wonderful hosts. And uh, But, you know, here's the interesting thing. So now the next day you're like, okay, so Clear Customs in Northway, Alaska, US, U.S. Customs, they have to come meet you. U.S. Customs has to meet an aircraft, and the reason they do is they have to Geiger count your aircraft. It's mandated that they look for radioactive materials. Yeah, it's... It, it's That's weird. It, It's Yeah, and in all the years they've been doing it, since shortly after 9-11, ask them how many times they've actually found radioactive materials. <laughs> never, they've never once found them, but you know they have to meet you and they don't really wanna do it either, but they have to do it. Yeah. But here you are out in Northway, there's no customs office in Northway. It's 45 minutes from the border, so they have to drive to meet you. So you wanna be on time because if they're waiting for you, they're not gonna be real happy. Yeah. And, and vice versa, you're not supposed to get out of the airplane until they arrive. So if you have a three-hour flight like I did, and you land and you're half hour early, you're sitting in the airplane for a half hour waiting for them. <laughs> you might have nature uh, calling. Um, <laughs> yeah, good point. So minus,
0: minus something, minus 30, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> so
1: so all of a sudden I start thinking about it. In Northway, they have restricted the hours. They said they only will clear you there at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., only two times a day. They have limited staff, and they just can't. So you have to get there at nine a.m. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a three-hour flight uh, from uh, Whitehorse. Three-hour flight from Whitehorse, and it gets light at eight a.m. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's like okay. Well, then all of a sudden I realized, oh, and I, I, I knew I gained some time because I went across a time zone. But what I didn't realize is. Uh, the Yukon in the winter is two hours different than Alaska time. Yeah. And yeah. so you gain two hours. So sun, I'm like, oh, so I, I took off an hour before sunrise and it was actually late enough to see the mountains. So I was fine. It was a clear,
0: oh, the, clear. The photos you took were incredible.
1: Well, I'll tell you, that was one of the amazing things, but you know, I got up going, I got two hour before I gained two hours and I landed five minutes early. Now, <laughs> um, I was also fortunate; I had a tailwind again, and I saw some 140 mile an hour ground speeds. But that yeah. morning, Bill was one of the most memorable flights I've ever had in all of my years flying. There were crystal clear skies, and I took off an hour before sunrise, so I watched the sunrise come up, and it's actually coming up from behind me because I'm going straight west. Yeah, the sunrise is coming up, and that the horizon, the west horizon is turning this pinky purple, unbelievable color over. And it's silhouetting the mountains that are snow covered mountains, Bill. I, and then I'd look behind me and I thought, oh my God, the sunrise coming over the mountains was even more beautiful. So here I am, I got to get the North way, but I'm circling around in my airplane before the sunrise (laughs) as the sun is still below the mountains taking pictures i was giddy i was like i was i was like giggling and the the beauty was really i mean it was overwhelming and i took um i had my fancy camera but i didn't use it because i didn't open a window it was you know in those temperatures (laughs) And, and every any photographer, aviation photographer knows you can't shoot through plexiglass because it messes the picture up. Well, guess what? <clears throat> I, t- I took over a hundred pictures on my iPhone that morning. Yeah. And I, uh, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I never opened the window. I just took them through the plexiglass.
0: Yeah. And then
1: you wind up in talk. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I got through customs, cleared customs with no issue. And, um, you know, here it is, it's 9am in the morning, right? I'm in Alaska. I can clearly make it to, um, Anchorage that day. Right. I mean, no, I got all the time in the world, uh, except I need fuel. So you go up to Toke and, uh, is, uh, you know, another 30 minute flight or so, but then, And they're completely socked in. Yeah. And uh, that, um, so now you're here, you are, 9, 10 in the morning. Well, by the time clear customs made, it was 10.30. You're fueled up. You got the whole day in front of you. You can clearly make it to Anchorage, except you can't. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, the good thing about uh, Tok, Alaska is, you know, fast eddies. Motel and restaurant right across the street from the FBO, walking distance. You know, yeah. I got a hanger for the night. Uh, uh, I buttoned the airplane up, put it in, and uh, you know, I got a great, a great breakfast or whatever. Late breakfast that morning there, and uh, hung out. You know, hung out yeah. for the day. Uh, there's not. It's a great. Yeah, you know, if you're going to be stuck, might as well be stuck in a nice place, right?
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And uh, right. and I know you and I were continuing to talk. Um, you know. <laughs> And here's where some kind of some aviation decision making starts coming in, right? So I know the first day I wasn't going to go, but then the next day you're looking at it and you're like, oh man, I can't make it all the way to Anchorage again. I still can't get there. There's two passes I have to negotiate. I can't make it there. And um, what do you do? You know what? What am I? What am I going to do now? And so um, you know you start looking at it, and and you're giving me great briefings, and we're looking at it and. You know, one of the things you don't realize or you don't appreciate fully in in the Midwest of uh, the Lower Forty Eight is weather cams. Yeah, um, weather cameras in the mountains, Bill, and you you know this. Yeah. They're they're invaluable. West. Aviation weather Great. cam. Yeah, yeah, they do, and it's it's they're spectacular. So, so the next day I got to the FBO right and. Uh, I uh, had a somewhat expensive hangar that night in uh, Tok. So I got pulled, covered up in there and pulled out and plugged in and thought, you know, I might be spending another night here. But here you are sitting in the FBO chatting with other pilots and you know, you're not going to go anywhere because even their, you know, their, uh, their part 135 or part 91, whatever they're, they're you know, their commercial ops, they're, those guys aren't flying either. Right. You know, and they're the locals, and they're the pros, and if they're not flying, I got no business trying to fly. But you're uh, <clears throat> you're checking the weather cams, you're talking to your weather, well, your brother briefers, Bill, and <laughs> and and then you're you're chatting with some other friends, and they say, you know, one of the advi- pieces of advice I got was nibble off whatever you can when you can, and. Um, It looked like I could get through the first pass, and forgive me now, there's a Mentasta pass and a Tanita pass. I think the next one next to Toka is Mentasta. Yeah. can't remember, but, you know, it looks like I can get through that one, but I can't get through the next one. So a couple of things. One of my advice I got was nibble off what you can when you can. You know, if you can only make it an hour, which is what I was looking at, an hour down the road, that's still an hour down the road, and now you got one pass (laughs) behind you. Yeah. So. Um, and then uh, a good friend, George Campbell, another SuperCub.org guy up in Haynes, Alaska. He happens to fly for Copper Valley Air in Gulkana in the summers. And George said, "Hey, let me make some calls for you." And he arranged a plug-in and a uh, you know a bed uh, a bed at the FBO or the the uh, flying service in Gulkana for me. And I thought, okay, great, I'm gonna go chew off. And so I got another hour down the road, got through the pass, it was a little scuzzy, um, but you're right over the Alaska highway. You can see the highway all the way, you can see the the mountains, so, you know, I got there. And uh, again, only an hour down the road, but I got a pass behind me and here I am in Gulkana for the night. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I, I get there and they say, hey, we're ordering pizza. Uh, <laughs> You want to, you want to join us for pizza Well absolutely so here you are you, you know you try to give them money for the pizza they won't take any money for the pizza I mean yeah. it's just it I can't say enough uh, enough good things in a you know kind of an interesting story and a complete aside but the young lady who re- worked the desk at uh, Copper Valley air uh, uh, a woman Eve, uh, grew up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, you know, <laughs> about 35 miles from where I grew up. So just kind of a small, small world story, yeah. but couldn't be nicer people. So, but here you are, here you are in uh, Gulcana right? And so now you got another night um, and, uh, you know, uh, Tanita Pass isn't looking very good, right? And so you okay, I'm here for a night. Well the next day we're back in the same mode, you know, looking at the weather okay. cameras, it's all socked in. Um, you know, I finally did get through there the next day. It was only another I and I'm thinking is it a, a couple hours from there to my destination north of Anchorage. But it wasn't until later in the day that I finally got through there where the right. you know the snow light, lightened up enough. So so, I think it
0: was the one where the local pilots told you that the webcam that I'd been staring at <laughs> is actually sitting in the clouds on top of a mountain.
1: Right? You're right, Bill.
0: Exactly. It's, 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 my heart rate's up around 100 beats a minute thinking about going through this. And, uh, and you go, yeah, no, I talked to these guys. And as it turns out, that's exactly how it turned out, right? It was like, yes. yeah. They yep. put the camera, unfortunately, right where the fog always sits on top of the mountain.
1: Well, they put it up probably with the cell tower or something yeah. up. And it's where yeah. do they put the cell towers up a little bit for good reception. And so there's like a, I I wouldn't say it's a huge mountain, but there's a ridge next to the highway. And it's right up there on the top of the ridge. Right. And it's enough to mess it up. But uh, Rick was a guy, um, he worked for Copper Valley Air. He actually had a Super Cub and he flew it It commuted weekly from uh, north of Anchorage out there. And he knew that route. He'd done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And he looked at it, he says, Jeff, you'll be fine. You know, here's what you do. Here's where you go. And so here's the, you know, the local knowledge again, that was just unbelievable, right? So, uh, yeah, good stuff. But yeah, there, you know, we've, we haven't even gotten to the Iditarod yet, Bill, and we're (laughs) coming up in an hour, but it was a heck of a trip (laughs) up there. Um, Yeah. It was, it wasn't, you know, I I had all the safety gear that you could imagine. again, I got great advice from everybody. I had a hot tent, I never needed it. I bought two Wiggy sleeping bags, minus 80 degree sleeping bags, you know. So, I mean, I was was set up, right? And so just to reflect a little bit back on that trip, what's the issue in the winter? Well, the issue is if you do go down somewhere, um, you know, you're gonna have to be able to self extricate yourself from the airplane, right? Yeah. In the summer, they might come find you. You might be bug-bitten pretty badly by the time they get you. Yeah. But in the winter, you're going to have to get yourself out of the airplane and into some shelter, right? And so that's the really additional risk. And I had a hot tent, you know, with a heater and all the things I needed, and I had good sleeping bags. So I thought, good. And the other thing I did is I followed the road system uh, in Canada. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go down, if you're going to have an issue, wouldn't you rather land on or adjacent to a road where they can drive to you and pick you up if they need to uh, yeah um and you so, had the
0: keys on the plane i did yeah and, and yep. you had your uh you you had your snowshoes strapped to the wing
1: i did yeah so, two, two two pairs of snowshoes i was set up bill i think you know again You know, I'm not an expert at this stuff, but I I have friends that have done just a ton of this kind of flying up in Alaska and Canada. And their support and advice was absolutely invaluable.
0: Yeah. And you did live the dream of Uh, That's That was the beauty was that the payoff uh, was terrific, right? It was fantastic.
1: You know, Rhonda got up there. I got up there on a Thursday. Rhonda arrived the next day on a Friday. The ceremonial start in downtown Anchorage for the Iditarod was on Saturday. We went down. It's kind of, it's somewhat of a parade. It's not the official start. They call it the ceremonial start, but it's one big party and a lot of fun. And every it, you got to go there. You got to see it. And then and then from there we flew out to a friend's cabins out on the trail. And we actually got out on the trail in a cabin. And uh they both had snow machines to use when we got out there. We had warm places to stay. And then we used these cabins as jumping off points to go visit the the trail, the race or, or spectate. Yeah. And and it was an absolutely unbelievable time. Yeah. Um, you know, only made possible from all the the, the friends and you know, I made it through supercub.org and raf and you know uh it, it really was neat. And You know, before we, before we wrap up, I see we're kind of grinding down in time, you know, the Iditarod is a spectacular race. And one of the things I like to point out, and I I learned, it was really interesting to me. So you get into these small native villages, and especially in some of the more remote ones on the other side of the Alaska range. And we're the only folks there, right? I mean, there's the the mushers, you got the race, the volunteers, you got the villagers, and us, that's it. And And, um, but you notice when the mushers come in, these mushers have been mushing for hours on end, maybe days on end, sleep deprived, they're exhausted. And the first thing they do when they come into the village is they take care of their dogs. They water the dogs, they bed the dogs down, they feed the dogs, and after the dogs are taken care of, they go tend to their own needs. go get something to eat on their own yeah but uh, these dogs they love their dogs and so we watched that take place in the little village of Nikolai and they they did that they took care of the dogs they went in and got something to eat they came back out and it was a sunny day they laid down on the bed of straw with their dogs and took a nap (laughs) Yeah. Tell me that these mushers don't absolutely love their dogs. Yeah, It's just amazing. And the, you know, the other thing is, is the dogs, every dog is checked at every checkpoint by a veterinarian. There's over 80 veterinarians that volunteer for the race. Oh, that is and, great. And, and, and I and I just feel obligated. You know, there, there's so much, uh, people, there's a lot of talk about how the dogs are mistreated, and I hate to hear it. And I saw firsthand how oh, that's just not the case at all. Yeah. You know, these dogs are elite athletes and, yeah. you know, they, 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 you know, do they get injured? Yes, they do. You know, they can't, they're, they're elite athletes. They're giving it their all. But at the end of the day, they, I mean, they are taken care of really, really well. And they absolutely love what they're doing. Yeah. They, they love it more than a hunting dog loves to go hunting. Absolutely. These dogs love to run. So uh,
0: anybody they, that's seen any videos of that, you can tell those dogs are in heaven. You they know, are. they just can't wait to go. <laughs> anybody that's ever owned a dog that has, you know, you know exactly what the dog is thinking when it jumps
1: out of the vehicle. <laughs> oh oh yeah. yeah. And they're them. and they're doing circles, they're chasing their tail yeah. and they're jumping around and they're going crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly the way these dogs are. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they just they love to run. This is what they want to do. And uh you know, it's heartening to see, um, you know, last year was the lowest participation in the Iditarod, the number of mushers since the oh. inception since the inception of the race. Oh. But I just checked, I looked on the website yesterday, and it looks like there's 10 or 12 more mushers this year. So that's really good to see. It's recovering. It is.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, the way home, you know, seemed simple to me because the weather had it's so improved by the time you guys were on the way home and, and uh, Jim and Joe had joined you by that point. And it was like, okay, well, you guys, you're going to have tailwinds all the way back to Wisconsin. It's going to be a cakewalk, beautiful days. <laughs> the thing that I didn't anticipate was early forest fires. <laughs> it's like I'm in British Columbia. It's like, oh, my God. Uh, and I remember looking at the satellite shot And you were on the ground, and I think you were on the ground in Fort Nelson, as I recall, wasn't it? And Mm -hmm. you're on the ground, and I'm looking at this satellite shot, and there's this giant blob heading right straight south for Fort Nelson. And it's like, that is just an aberration. Like, it doesn't look right. Something is really unusual about this. I get to, (laughs) to messing around on the web, and finally it's like... Force fire gone wild, the winds were coming out of the north and driving this thing at like 50 miles, 60 miles an hour. And you guys are trying to get fuel on board and get out of there. And, and uh you tell the story. You're better. You were there.
1: Yeah. Well, Bill, you're exactly right, right? So we here's an example, and you hear these stories a lot from folks. Um you know it's not one thing that ever gets you, it's all it's like a chain of things, right? And yeah. so we were flying through the mountains east on our way to Fort Nelson, and everything's good, you know, going to Fort Nelson for fuel. Well, we get out of the mountains, we get our first METAR, gusting to 37 across the <laughs> runway at Fort Nelson. <clears throat> we thought, oh, this isn't gonna work. And one of the fellows has got a Got a, a backcountry supercub Super Cub with pretty big wings and it doesn't like that much wind at all. And uh, so we, we uh, said, oh, we got, everybody looks at fuel. Yep, we're all good on fuel. Let's just go continue on to Fort St. John. We take a right turn. We start heading down the Eastern side of the Rocky Mountains and it starts getting really hazy and we're and you know I feel guilty, but we just, we, these fires had just sprung up. My yeah. friends had just come up two weeks earlier. They never saw a bit of haze. And in two weeks, this, the world was on fire up there. Yeah. And we turned and we are like, oh my gosh, it's getting smoky. So we we got into some bad smoke on the way to Fort Saint John. But you know, at this point, we're like, well, we don't have any, really any other options for fuel. And now we got smoke. So all I can say is, you know, when things stack up against you, things can get a little ugly. We, you know, we got through it. The wind was out of the south, right? So yeah. we got through the smoke. It was blowing the smoke up towards us. We got through it. We got on the ground of Fort St. John. We thought, oh my gosh, that was pretty bad. But you know, the smoke's all north of us right now. We got fuel. We're taxing out to the runway. The wind switched from the north. Yeah. It went from pretty reasonably clear to zero visibility <laughs> in about 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and the gusts were like up to 30. And it was, I don't know if it was fire driven wind or what, but it, it was crazy. So yeah. we turned around and went back, but now we're thinking we're on the ground in Fort St. John and it's getting smokier and smokier. And we find out they, they are, they declared a state of emergency. They didn't say to evacuate. They said, prepare to evacuate. The fire's yeah. coming right towards town Yeah. and we're sitting on the ground, smoke all around us. And we're thinking the fire's not that far away. We're going to have embers coming down on fabric-covered airplanes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, so it got, we. hey, we found a hangar there. We ended up spending a night there unplanned. In a metal um, hangar. In a metal (laughs) hangar. They never did declare an evacuation. But, you know, we had already discussed, and maybe I shouldn't share this, but Fort St. John Airport is out in the middle of nowhere. There's no brush, no trees, nothing around it, right? It's just out in the open. And yeah. we're in a metal hangar with a metal roof, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, okay, I, I think we like where we are. Yeah. I can't see the fire getting to us here. Sorry. It's Oops. not, you know, it, the worst is there's going to be embers landing on a metal hangar. Yeah, exactly. but it felt it felt good to be in a metal hangar that night. I'll tell you. Yeah,
0: yeah. At any rate, it was uh, it it was quite an adventure. Thanks for taking me along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I learned a lot <laughs> through the whole experience. And uh, and it was really uh, probably a once-in-a-lifetime kind of an adventure, right?
1: Well, um, I think, you know, I'd like maybe not to think it was once-in-a-lifetime. You
0: never know. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah uh, maybe it was the yeah, beginning of a new chapter of adventures, right?
1: Uh, you know, I'd love to do it again someday. Um, yeah. And maybe I will. We'll see. We'll yeah. see.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: I got all the gear now, so what the heck.
0: Yeah, exactly. You got that hot tent that's just Mm. there in the hangar. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Jeff. Well, I look forward to seeing you out there in the backcountry someplace. Hopefully not so cold that you need to bring the hot tent, but I'm sure we'll get a chance somewhere in this next flying season, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I got to get my Super Cub back out west and uh, maybe drop in on you at Moose Creek or something.
0: Yeah, there you go. Let's do that. All right, hey, thank you very much. Really, thank
1: you, Bill. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks again for all your support on the trip.
0: Absolutely. Always. If
1: you go again, take me along. I'll be happy to. All right. You can count on it.